Yeah, ha, 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 ha. Very funny today. We're singing a song, we're looking at a psalm that starts with the words, sing to the Lord a new song at a time when in church we're not allowed to sing right now. Awesome. So I've been talking to people that I was preaching about this for the last uh, two weeks, and so I've heard all the jokes. What are you going to change it to hum unto the Lord a new song today? Or sing unto the Lord in your hearts? Or mime unto the Lord? We've had many jokes, but I want to say resiliently to all, no, sing to the Lord is a good phrase even for us today. Because there's something profoundly human about songs and singing. You see, songs and singing are a heart thing. Music affects our hearts. It connects us to things. Like memories, you hear a song and you're immediately transported to a place where you've heard that song before. It connects people together. When we stand up and we sing a national anthem together or we sing a hymn at church, songs teach us as well. We can remember thousands upon thousands of words when they are put to music in a way we can't if the words are just down on a page. Music uh, can make us move. It can affect our emotions. It can cause us to deeply reflect as well. So for humans, songs affect our hearts. And the songs we sing reflect what's on our hearts. Let me ask you, what what do you reckon Australia is singing about at the moment? I had a look this week at the ARIA charts for our country. And it paints a very sobering picture. Let me describe to you what the songs are about. The number one song in our country is about a bad relationship. Number two is about constantly switching and changing to make a relationship work. Number three is a struggle between a person's head wanting to end the relationship and their heart wanting to stay in the relationship. Number four is about faithfulness in marriage. That might be an an outlier, that one. Number five is about two people checking each other out so they can have sex. Number six is about the singer boasting about how awesome he is so that he can get the girl. Number seven is about a toxic breakup. Number eight is about a girl not wanting to go back with an unfaithful ex-partner. Number nine is two women likening themselves to prostitutes, all in the name of female empowerment and sexual liberation. Number ten is about wanting to have sex with a person all night. Number eleven is about the loneliness of wealth and fame from an early age. Number 12 is about bouncing around between relationships. Number 13 is about a relationship ending. Number 14 is about the singer wanting to get their girl into bed. Number 15 is about knowing that your partner wants to be back with her ex, but you not wanting to to leave the relationship because the sex is so good. What's on the hearts of the community around us? What are they singing about? It's about bad relationships, material success, Sexual success. These are our idols. These are the things that are on our hearts. We sing about them. And you know what's really dangerous about it? It's the way that these songs become really popular nowadays. You see, now at day and age, most of our popular songs are driven up the charts because they're used as background music for short-form content videos on platforms like TikTok and Instagram. Short-form content is like a 15-second clip where very clever creators uh, make a video about something funny 
or thoughtful or perhaps even something random based on a couple of lines of a song that they've sampled. Those those lines don't even have to be the chorus of the song. But the reason that music artists give permission for creators to make these videos is that they know that people will watch the videos and then they'll go and listen to the songs and that's what drives them up the charts. Now, I reckon many people in our morning congregation would have Instagram and probably have access to some of these things. I reckon almost none of us would have TikTok. You know who does have TikTok? 11 to 15-year-olds. These are the songs, the ones I just mentioned. They're the songs that our young people are taking into their hearts and learning about the world around them. These are the songs that young people in turn are singing to other people. And not just teenagers, frankly. I've been listening to songs like this for 40 years. And I know you've heard these songs for 40 years as well. Don't think for a second that doesn't have an effect on the way that we think about the world around us. Psalm 96 tells us to sing to the Lord a new song. The people of God are to have different words that come from a different heart. Our songs are to project outward and upward, filled from a heart that is full of praise for a God we know deeply. Today's psalm is not a hard psalm to understand. It's easy to break up, in fact. Verses 1 to 3, we're told we've got to sing. Verses 4 to 7, we're told why we should sing. And verses 8 to 13, we're told who should sing. So we're going to look at this psalm together, and I'm hoping that it will result in you praising God at the end of it as well. It'd be so great if you could have open Psalm 96 in front of you, if it's on your Bibles or in your phones uh, in the room. If you're watching online, then just click the uh, Bible Gateway link below the display window, and it'll take you to the passage that we're looking at today. And if for whatever reason, if you're in the room today, you would like a transcript of everything that I'm saying, then um, if you would stick your hand up, Mandy or Jeremy will... I'll pass a transcript to you so you can follow along if that helps. Let me pray and we'll get into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy it is to have your word in front of us today. We ask that in your mercy and kindness, you would make clear your wonderful character, that we might see with joy who you are and praise you for it. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, at the beginning, from verses 1 to 3, we're told to sing. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day by day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Wow, now that's a psalm. What an upbeat way to start. It's incredibly robust, especially when you consider the context in which this psalm comes. There's two things about the context we need to understand to see why this is such an incredible psalm. The first is where the song comes from in the first place, and the second is where it is placed in the book of Psalms. Now, if you didn't know this, this song is originally written by Asaph, and it's commissioned by King David. It's the song that is sung... Uh, by the people as David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. You can read about this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 
You'll remember, of course, that the ark was an intricately decorated box that was carried that carried some precious items in it, including the Ten Commandments uh, that were written on uh, tablets of stone. It was carried by the Levitical priests of Israel around the desert and then into the Promised Land. The ark itself had come to symbolise that God was with His people. And now that the ark is coming into Jerusalem, it is a moment of great victory. And this song reflects God's character in all of his works. Verse 2 speaks of his salvation. Verse 3 speaks of his works before all the nations. And as you trace the story, that's been true. God has given salvation to his people out of Egypt. He sustained them in the desert. He's protected them from all of their enemies around them. But more simply than what God has done, this psalm is about who God is. See in that first verse, they are to sing to the Lord. This song is supposed to be directed towards God. Even before considering his wondrous deeds, even before considering the salvation that he gives, this song is about praising his name. It's the first thing that they're called to do. And there's plenty to praise God about because the Israelites know God's character. He told them who he is back in Exodus When he passed by Moses, he said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God is gloriously good. And his character is worthy of praise. God was like this before the Israelites came into the promised land. He was like this before the ark made its way to Jerusalem. And I reckon this is a powerful and important reminder for us that we're not just to praise God when he gives stuff. See, God is good whether we have or whether we don't, whether he gives or whether he takes away, whether life is easy or life is hard, whether we're seeming to fail in things or whether we're succeeding. God's faithfulness to us stands in complete contrast to the broken relationships, the toxic relationships, the unfaithful relationships that our world sings about in their songs. So we can simply praise God for who he is. God is enough for us. And this is really important when we consider the second point of context that I talked about a second ago, where this psalm comes in the whole of the book. You see, in studying the psalms, we've become clearer that the Psalms have been put together in a deliberate order. They've been categorized into five different books. The first three books seem to be a songbook for the promised land. Many of the Psalms feature wisdom for life under God, and the king featured is David or someone like him. But the last Psalm, Psalm 89, talks about the failure of David's kingdom. Well, the last two books are regarded as a songbook for the exile. After God's people have been kicked out of the promised land, after the southern kingdom has been conquered by Babylon, after the Babylonians have absolutely destroyed Jerusalem, Psalm 96 is in book four of the Psalms, amongst a collection known as the enthronement Psalms, which proclaim the kingship of God. You see, right at the end of the third book, it talked about the failure of David's kingdom, but book four starts with Uh, Psalms 93 to 100, which speak that God is the true king 
of his people. And in fact, although Psalm 96 draws heavily from Asaph and David's earlier song, when you put the two songs side by side, there's actually one key difference in the two songs. There's an extra line in Psalm 96 in the version that's quoted. It's the first line. Sing to the Lord a new song. See, the song doesn't say, sing unto the Lord that oldie but a goodie that we used to sing when the ark came into Jerusalem. It's a new song because it's a new context. God wants his people to praise him when the city has been demolished and when the temple lies in ruins. In exile, the Jews have nothing to point to, nothing to show God's wonder to anyone. All they have is God. Yet even when they have nothing, God is saying, that's enough for you to be able to praise me because of who I am. And if you think about it, the rest of the psalm then has some real punch to it. You see, the psalmist is asking God's people to sing to the Lord even when they're in exile, even when there's fear all around, even when the gods of the other nations seem to be greater, even when they're amongst other people from other nations. They are to sing praise to the Lord. This brings us to our second point from verses 4 to 7. Why do we sing to the Lord? Verse 4, have a look at it with me. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and honor are in his sanctuary. We sing because of the Lord. He is great and he is worthy of praise. If what we sing reflects our heart, then we need to be deeply convinced. We need to be deeply convicted about who God is. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where a friend or someone you know gets a new item, piece of technology or something, and they go on and on and on and on about it. I once had an experience with a guy who who got a new phone. New phone, I said. And there went the next 20 minutes of my life. Oh, yes, he said. New iPhone, so much better than the last one. Check out the blah, 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 blah. So much clearer, so much, so much faster, so much better storage, blah, blah, blah. Ever been in that situation? My friend was praising the virtues of this new thing. Of course, I'm, I'm joking about it, I'm exaggerating, and we're kind of knowingly laugh. But in all seriousness, my friend was deeply convinced, deeply convicted about how good this thing was. From his heart, this was a great phone. He deeply believed it. I mean, ask him anything about it and he would tell you. He'd spent hours learning about it, understanding it. He was more passionate than a salesman. And get this, he didn't just say that it was good. He was utterly convinced I should have a phone like his as well. Well, that type of passion can be true for an object, It needs to be true when it comes to God for God's people, doesn't it? The people ought to be thoroughly, completely sold out on God and that our lips are to line up with our commitment in our hearts to God. For the Jews in exile who had lost everything, where were they going to get the sustenance to keep praising God? 
Well, they needed to go back to the word that they had already received and sing the songs that they had already learnt about the greatness of God so that those songs would keep teaching and keep reminding them and convicting them of the wonder of God. Mature faith in God, it's not always about learning new things. Most of the time, it's about reminding ourselves of the deep truths that we already believe. Did you notice in this new song, there's actually nothing new about God in this song? I mean, verse 3, he is the Lord of all the earth. Verse 10, he is the creator of all things and the world is established. Verse 13, he's the judge of all things. I mean, all these things were known by God's people before Psalm 96. They were embedded in their hearts and they were to take from that reservoir and praise God, irrespective of where they found themselves. I should say that if you're listening to this uh, sermon right now and you're going, I'm I'm not learning anything new at the moment, I say praise God for that. Christianity is not the latest thing. It is the greatest thing. It's what we keep coming back to. You see, this is so important in an age of short-form content on video platforms like TikTok and Instagram. You see, we live in a world where we're encouraged to keep scrolling. That's interesting. What's next? Ah, funny. What's new? Oh, look at that. Random. What's new? This is what we're encouraged to do. But Psalm 96 tells us to proclaim his salvation day after day. We don't move on from the word of God. We keep returning to it. That's when our hearts will become full of the greatness of God, full of God's splendor, full of his majesty for who he is. We can't help but sing, can we? As for God's people in exile, they needed to be convicted for God's greatness. I mean, imagine being in Babylon, surrounded by people who are making fun of your conquered nation, making fun of your apparently conquered God, pointing to their incredible buildings all around and saying, you're on the wrong side of history, mocking them. Psalm 96 is in book four for a reason. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. It's saying this out loud. God is still God, even though Jerusalem is in ruins. God is still God, even though the Babylonians seem to have won. God is still God when the temple has been destroyed. God is still God, even when you can't see it. And the gods and the idols are all around you. God is still in charge. We live in a world where all manner of gods and idols are around us, aren't they? I mean, some come with a formalized religion and have a name. But in our secularized world, uh, many gods don't even call themselves gods. But all we need to do is listen and follow the line of worshippers to see what they are. We can listen to the songs that are getting sung around us and we know where the hearts of people are. Their desire is for relationships for material success, for sexual success. These are the gods of our culture. The people around us worship like God. The temptation for us will be that these songs become our normal. 
that we'll start singing along, that we'll get the hook into our head, just like watching the short-form videos. And we'll listen to the song more and more, and we'll start singing those songs as if they're our song as well. I mean, that's what the Babylonians wanted for the Israelites. They wanted the Israelites just to join in with how they did things in Babylon. And I tell you, they were super successful. Seventy years after the destruction of Israel, God called his people to come back to the promised land. But many Jews went, oh, no, we like it here in Babylon, we're good. And they didn't come back. What we need in our hearts is a new song that convinces us about how good God is and convinces us to worship God because he is greater, that he is more compassionate, more gracious, slower to anger, more loving, more faithful, more forgiving. The being connected to him brings the most joy, the most satisfaction and the best story in our lives. That majesty and splendor are where God is. You see, the Babylonians thought that they had con- when they conquered Jerusalem that the Israelites had lost. But it was all part of God's plan. And this brings us to the last question in our last six verses. Who should be singing? Have a look at verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. God wants this praise from all the earth, from every family across everything. You see, God loves the whole world. He made the whole world. It's his. Israel was chosen to lead the world in bringing people to God. They were supposed to be a light to all the nations. They were supposed to love life and live lives of such goodness and incredible faithfulness to God that other nations would come to them to find out about the God that they worshipped so fervently and that they would then join Israel in worshipping God. When David brought the ark into Jerusalem, it gave Israel's mission an aiming point, that all the nations would come to Israel and meet God. But with the destruction of Jerusalem, God's ultimate plan comes to light. See, his people will be dispersed amongst all the nations to keep singing to the Lord wherever they are. These songs would call out for people to ascribe to God what is due to him and have the effect that others in different nations would join in the singing. That word ascribe is just an old-timey word that means give him his due. Give him what he deserves. And this going out to the ends of the earth is ultimately where Jesus takes God's mission. From Judea, Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, from the Jews to the Gentiles. The good news of verse 10 in Psalm 96 is declared, the Lord reigns. How does he reign? Well, the crucified King Jesus has risen from the grave. All powers, all authorities, including death, are under the authority of Jesus. He is our king. He is the king of the whole earth. And the good news of Jesus is taken into the hearts of every Christian by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And that same Spirit sends God's people out to the ends of the earth to sing. Anyone from any nation with any language can come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. You see, Christianity doesn't belong to one ethnicity. We are brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. And as people from every nation become believers, that song that we sing to the Lord becomes louder and louder for people to hear. And the song we sing today is a new song. We don't sing the song of the exiled Jew back in the Old Testament. Our song is the song of Jesus. The song they'll be singing in heaven. Did you see this in our second reading today from Revelation chapter 5? We're told that they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and nation and people. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The song we sing is an everlasting song. For the king we worship is an everlasting king. He's not new content that we move on from. And so this song of delight that the Spirit has placed in our hearts should naturally just flow out into our lives. And this is going to stand out in a world that is singing different songs. We're called to be Christian, to live it out, to speak it out, and yes, to sing it out as well. Do not underestimate for a second the powerful effect that a life of praising Jesus will have on your friends and your family around you. I mean, that guy who banged on about his phone, at the time, it's a bit irritating. But I tell you what, when it came time for me to buy a new phone, you know whose voice was in my head? Our praise of God will lead others towards praising God too. So a question I'd love for you to bring up in your growth groups this week is this question. Make a note of it. How can I make sure that I'm singing to the Lord in my life this week? How can I make sure that I am singing to the Lord in my life this week? Chat about that in your growth groups. Let me finish with one last point. A psalm like Psalm 96 reminds us how good it is that churches gather all over our suburb and how good it is to sing when we gather. I mean, if singing is a human thing, it is especially a characteristic for humans. We need to be praying that the government will allow us to sing again in our churches, don't we? Is it time for us to be able to? I mean, no other group or institution has felt the sadness of the COVID no singing rule like Christian churches, have we? I mean, we've been humming and singing in our hearts. We've been honouring those around us. But you ask our members, and they'll all say that what is most efficient right now is our inability to be able to sing together. You see, singing is an essential part of who we are when we gather. We learn about God together when we sing. We remember the scriptures in song. We praise God to the Lord when we sing. And we teach our kids through song the truth of Jesus 
so that their hearts are filled with the song of their Lord Jesus. So they have a new song. They have a better song in them that is better than the songs that the world is singing around them. You see, when we gather, we gather to sing praises to God. And when we gather, we gather among the nations here in Gladesville and Putney and East Ride. And when we gather, we invite the nations to come here and sing God's praises with us. So can I ask our church family to pray specifically for this point? That God will move the hearts of our leaders to allow us to sing together in church again. Because we want to sing to the Lord our new song, the song of Jesus. And we want everyone to hear it. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm of praise. A psalm that reminds us and points us clearly to the new song we have in Jesus. A song that remains forever and ever. That he reigns as King and Lord and Judge of all. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would look after us during this time. A time when we can not sing out loud, but only in our hearts and hum. We thank you for the leaders you've placed over us in our community who have guided us and looked after our society and done what has been good to contain this COVID virus. We ask in your mercy, Father, that this would be the time when we are allowed once again to sing. If it's with masks, we'll take it. We'll sing with masks on. But Heavenly Father, please allow us to sing together again that we might declare the praises of the Lord Jesus together in song. We pray that you would help us to be people who sing your praises out in the world around us. That by the way we live, the words we speak and the actions that we show other people, that they will see that we have been changed by the Lord Jesus and that he's our king. We pray that you would help our song from our hearts into our lives be shown in front of people. And we ask, Father, that many in Gladesville and Putney and Ride would sing that Jesus reigns as well. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.